Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Paul Batura on the blessings of adopting children and parallels to our adoption into God's family. You know, all of us as believers are adopted into the family of God. Um, and there's a rich connection there between the fact that the birthright that we enjoy uh, because of our faith in Christ is just like uh, the fact that when a child is adopted into a family, they receive all of the benefits and all of the official connections to that family. And even more so, of course, if, with our own adoption as believers. Paul Batura, next. Coming up today, the spotlight is on adoption and celebrating the dignity of birth mothers. Paul Batura believes if we want women to choose life, they need to be affirmed in the nobility of their decision to make adoption plans. Paul is Vice President of Communications for Focus on the Family and author of Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. Paul, tell us why you feel so strongly about the value of adoption. Well, of course, I have to admit right up front, I have a bias. My wife, Julie, and I are the proud parents of three boys, all of whom we have adopted at birth. Um, they're now 17, 12, and 10. Mm. But we walked through the process um, uh, with each of them. Every Each of them, like every adoption, has its unique story. And um, we just couldn't be more blessed. And so it's fun to talk about it and fun to encourage other people who feel led uh, to possibly adopt. Well, I realize uh, we could talk for the entire time today about the story of your family, but I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about it, about your family's adoption story and how you and your wife came to adopt. Yeah, I think our um, story is probably not a lot unlike a lot of uh, families who, who adopt. We suffered or struggled with infertility for many years and, uh, you know, prayed about it. And then when a friend of ours approached us with a opportunity, they knew someone who's daughter was expecting a child and was thinking about making an adoption plan. They wanted to know if we'd be interested. And so we kind of stepped off uh, into the abyss, so to speak, not quite sure what to expect. And uh, our first son, they're all domestic adoptions. Um, our oldest son was born in Oklahoma City or Edmond, Oklahoma, technically. And then uh, our middle boy was born in Denver. Uh, that was a more traditional agency adoption. And then uh, our third was born in Omaha, Nebraska. And so we have two of the three are open adoptions, which means we have a relationship with their birth moms. The, the middle one, uh, we do not. Um, but uh, again, it's been a, a tremendous journey. They're all so unique, you know, I mean, and I tell people this and, and not having any biological children, I talk about their unique attributes and temperaments. And they say to me, well, you know what you mean? Just like biological families that we tend to mm -hmm. think that adoption is going to be so different. And on so many levels, it's not because, you know, you bring the children into your family, you love on them. They are God created uh, individuals who have uh, plans uh, set out for them by the Lord. And so they're going to be different. And that's been the great thrill of being a parent is getting to see their personalities emerge and nurture that as we can and try and try and launch them uh, to a productive life. 
And how have you seen God's redemption, God's providence through, well, not just the process of adopting your sons, but uh, through the, the entire life of their, of their upbringing, of their childhood? Yeah, in so many ways, Bill. Uh, you know, our oldest son um, came to us. Uh, Juliana is his birth mom, and she was unsure what to do. She really struggled with her decision to make that adoption plan. She desperately wanted to keep him. Uh, wanted to be his mom, but she wanted him to have a father and knew she couldn't provide that. So she made the call and made the decision. And we see that, you know, unfolding in terms of how well he's doing. You know, he loves our family, of course. He, he's thriving in, in his circumstances. Um, and she sees it and she talks about it. And she, you know, we see her once, twice a year. And she always is telling us, you know, I've made a lot of bad decisions in my life, but this has been the, my, the best one I ever made to see how he's doing, to see how he's thriving. We were at a, at a wedding this past summer up in Denver. Uh, we were at a family, her family's wedding. And um, she was walk, we were walking around with her and he's 17 now. And she's introducing him by saying, this is my son and these are his parents. And she was so proud and it just felt so natural. And, um, you know, I just thought the Lord took a, a, a woman who was unsure, a scared woman and, uh, has affirmed her decision and redeemed uh, an unplanned pregnancy to now see a young man about to accomplish. He's already accomplishing great things, but he'll do even more in the future. Well, my guest today on His People is Mr. Paul Batura. He is Vice President of Communication for Focus on the Family. We're talking about adoption. We're talking about celebrating the dignity of birth mothers, as he's just described. And he's also author of the book Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. Well, we are, of course, in an era now, Paul, of, of following the overturn of Roe versus Wade, a post-Roe era. So more than ever, Focus on the Family is reminding us that pro-lifers need to emphasize and celebrate the dignity of birth mothers and adoption. And, and I think, from what you said, the, that celebration, that dignity has been affirmed for a number of years. But talk about why even more than ever today. Yeah, I feel so strongly about this, Bill, because, you know, in this post-Dobbs, post-Roe era, there, there presumably, hopefully, uh, are going to be more children uh, born. And uh, that's a good thing we mm -hmm. should be celebrating. That means there's going to need to be um, this, you know, places for these children to go to. Really what we're going to need, though, is to encourage uh, these birth moms to make adoption look incredibly attractive. Um, because, you know, we hear these terrible stories of women who are, you know, being transported across state lines to find places where abortion is legal. But we want to discourage that. We want to encourage them to carry their child to term. And how do you do that? I think you do it in many, many ways, but one of them is to help cast a vision for what an adoption could look like. And, you know, it's like anything else. You, you want to uh, appeal to a young woman or whatever her age might be, uh, and you want to respect her, show her you care. You know, one of the great myths about um, the pro-life movement is that we only care about the baby. Uh, that's a lie. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, pro-lifers for years have been serving birth moms in incredible ways. We need to obviously continue to do that. Um, and I think one of the ways we do that is not necessarily through uh, money or through clothes or through diapers or anything. Those are all needed things, but we do it by honoring them and by um, affirming them and their decision. 
Uh, and so, you know, we can only do it uh, in our own family. And we try and speak very highly of the birth moms of our boys because number one, they carry their children to term. They could have aborted, they didn't. Number two, they're flesh and blood. I mean, th this is a, a, a relationship and they may not have day-to-day -day interaction with them of their same blood and of their, uh, you know, a lot of inherited traits and things. So we should lift that up and make them feel like uh, they come from a, a good heritage. So that's what, that's one of the main reasons is that I think if we're going to have to, um, if we want to encourage women uh, not to abort, but to adopt, we have to make birth mom, uh, the birth mother role look attractive. And, and as you've been explaining, uh, the decision to adopt is, can be a very difficult one, a, a, a certainly a sacrificial decision. It, it's a huge one. And I'll tell you, it's one of the um, relationships or one of the experiences that most people don't think about. Uh, I can tell you, you know, coming from even an adoptive parent's perspective, uh, you know, growing up, I always think when I hear adoption, I normally think of the adoptive family. It's the happy moment. It's the, the time when the child is placed in the, in the new parent's arms and um, you kind of see, hopefully, live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's rare, of course, but that's the goal. Right. Uh, the reality is I can tell you when our oldest son was um, relinquished to us, we were in a church service in Edmond, Oklahoma. It was a summer night and Juliana was carrying uh, Riley. When she reached down into his bassinet or into his car seat, the tears from her her eyes fell onto his bald head. And it just, I'll, I'll never forget that moment and watching that because to me that was re uh, reflective of the sacrifice. Uh, here's a mom who loves her child so much that she's literally crying tears over him. And, um, mm. and, and she had to live with that void for a while. And she still does to some degree, but she of course, sees the good that he's accomplished and knows that she made the right decision. But it is a tough deal to relinquish a child. And I think we should be empathetic uh, towards that and acknowledge that. What about the, the, the pros and cons? And maybe this is a slightly different subject, but of open and closed adoptions? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people have strong opinions about that. The trend is more open now. Mm -hmm. uh, that's no question about it. Most people have some form of open, you know, a, all open adoptions aren't alike. Uh, they may be, you know, very friendly over the house kind of a thing. There may be, we meet at a neutral place. There may be, we simply know who you are. We correspond in written form. Um, I was intimidated by the prospect of open adoption. I'll just say up front. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, are, are, is, is the birth mom, birth family going to be judging me? And, and uh, you know, will the child love the birth family more than they love us? I mean, all these right. thoughts that I see now is irrational, but they still were real. Um, so, but there's a lot of good to it. Um, you know, number one, every child and all the, all the research I've done, all the work I've done for the last bit uh, demonstrates children are curious about their our family of origin. Um, different degrees, but they still wonder about it. So if you can have um, a reference point, that's helpful for the child. It's also helpful in terms of hereditary issues, you know, whether it's poor eyesight, diabetes, you name the condition that are heredit uh, hereditary. Mm -hmm. It's good to know, uh, oh, okay, now I see this emerging. Or even, you know, temperaments and likes and loves. I mean, we have our boys, I know they have inherited certain traits from birth family. And it's good to be able to talk about that. On the other hand, you know, there are some situations where uh, an open adoption is probably not a healthy 
safe uh, manner to go. And so you have to just use your judgment on that and have an intermediary or have no contact at all. And, you know, it's all different depending upon the situation and the circumstance and the people and all of that. But um, uh, again, if you're thinking about adopting and the prospect of an open adoption intimidates you, number one, join the club. Number two, Mm. it's not as bad as you might think, and it's not going to be as hard to navigate as you might fear. Well, if you would, Paul, tell us about your book, um, Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World, and why you wrote it. Yeah, well, I I wrote it because I found myself telling our boys stories uh, about other adoptees. Um, You know, we, we were told right off the bat, you should always make sure your children know they were adopted before they even understood what being adopted means. So that's what we did. We talked about it. And, um, uh, you know, I tell stories of, of famous people, uh, historical people uh, that were adopted mm-hmm. just to normalize it and to, to demonstrate that adoption doesn't necessarily or really at all uh, hinder progress. It actually allows it, enables it. So I kind of pulled together a list of 16 people who uh, were adopted and I kind of told the backstory of their adoption. I didn't really write so much about what they accomplished, although that's sort of um, implied by the people I chose, but it was, the, it was the story of what led to their adoption, their birth parents, their birth family, and then the environment that they were placed in. And this is the key, right, Bill? So this is where, to give you an example, the first off the bat in the book is Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Steve was born to a young woman, unmarried woman, who uh, gave birth in California, chose a family, that actually first turned down the placement because they wanted a girl. Then they found out it was a boy. Then when they found out it was a boy, they had to find a different family. But the family Steve Jobs was placed in, uh, you know, happened to live in Silicon Valley, happened to live on a street with HP executives. Uh, Steve's adoptive father had a workshop in the garage, was a, a uh, you know, loved experiments. Uh, all of these environmental factors mm-hmm. played into Steve's upbringing that prepared him to launch Apple. And, um, you know, I, I just, I love the, the, the hand of God and the way he moves and the way he puts children in certain families, uh, in my opinion, to accomplish certain things. And so that's the, that's the tenor and tone of the book, each of the stories, uh, all standalone kind of book you can pick up and, you know, read one chapter and not read the next for a while. And you're not going to, it doesn't matter. You know, it's all, it's all connected. Um, but uh, that's kind of the, the essence of that project. I like how you put it, something to the effect that uh, adoption in, in the cases of these 16 people that you profile in the book is not a, a footnote, if you will, to their lives, but it's actually a driving force in their success. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, give you another one that I love, and that is, um, you know, there's a woman born uh, in New York, in Queens, and uh, her mom wasn't in a position um, at the time sent her to her sister to raise, but then the mom got married, moved to Chicago. Uh, the little girl wanted to take on the, um, new father's last name, uh, Davis. So Nancy Davis, uh, was raised in Chicago, then moved to California to be a, um, actress. When she got there, she recognized or realized that, uh, there was another Nancy Davis who was on the blacklist, of um, Hollywood. And so they said, well, you need to go talk to the president of the Screen Actors Guild to, to square this away. And so she went and 
that Nancy Davis met Ronald Reagan and mm. Ronald Reagan uh, and Nancy fell in love and got married. And, you know, a lot of people say that without Nancy, Ronald Reagan would never have been elected governor of California, would probably never have become president of the United States. And if Nancy Davis had not been adopted, had she not changed her name, she would have ha would not have had any reason to meet Ronald Reagan. So again, one of those quirks of history that are, is really, to me, more than a quirk of history, it's the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. But it was because of adoption. Amazing. And there's so many other stories in, in your book, Nelson Mandela, Gerald Ford, Faith Hill, and others. Um, well, I, I'm wondering, and we haven't talked about this uh, much at this point, Paul, but if you can talk about, if you would talk about the rich biblical significance of adoption in God's plan for his people. Well, absolutely. I'll tell you, I, I end the book by talking about um, Jesus and the fact that Jesus is really an adopted child because Joseph was uh, not Jesus's biological father, right? And so, um, you know, that's, that's a figure most of us don't think of when we think of, well, Jesus was the son of God, son of Mary and Joseph, but of course he's the adopted son of Joseph. Um, but more largely, you know, all of us as believers are adopted into the family of God. Um, and there's a rich connection there between the fact that the birthright that we enjoy uh, because of our faith in Christ is just like uh, the fact that when a child is adopted into a family, they receive all of the benefits and all of the uh, official connections to that family. And even more so, of course, if, with our own adoption as believers. You know, we're all, uh, but by the grace of God and saved by his blood and, and, and welcomed into his family. So, you know, I always like to think of that because, again, uh, when there are, I think, a stigma in some ways attached to adoption by some people who think that, uh, you know, being adopted isn't quite being as good as being a biological child. The reality is we're all adopted in, in some form or fashion, as believers at least. And that, that parallel, as, as you really just explained, between uh, in, in terms of God adopting us as his sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ, we are, in effect, his sons and his daughters, as in the earthly picture, when a child is adopted into a family, they are legally, I mean, in all respects, the son and the daughter of those parents. Amen. And, and we can't take that lightly. At the beginning of your book, I think you quoted John Piper, a uh, well-known pastor, retired pastor now from Minneapolis, and he said that adoption is a picture of the gospel. You've somewhat explained that, but I'm wondering if you can help us to understand that. How is adoption a picture? Not that, not that the gospel is a picture of adoption, but adoption is a picture of the gospel. Well, I, I think it's, yeah, kind of as we've been, we've been talking about, the fact that, um, uh, you know, we, we don't deserve any of the benefits and any of the rewards that um, we receive uh, as believers. Um, it's, it's, it's all thanks to God's grace, and it's all thanks to his sacrifice on the cross for us. Um, and of course, uh, in many ways, that's, that's what adoption, a child who is welcomed into a family, uh, a family with a mom and a dad and and all the resources to raise, uh, to be raised and, and schooled and nurtured, uh, you know, that child hasn't done anything. I mean, literally has just simply, you know, one life's lottery of sorts to be welcomed into this family. Uh, as Christians, I often think of us like that. We've won the great prize. Um, 
by it's by God's grace that we have received um, eternal life is the greatest, of course. And the fact uh, the matter is, if if but for Him, uh, we'd be lost and we'd be um, uh, we'd be mm-hmm. uh, you know, pointless existence. So I think that's what Dr. Piper is getting at, and I love the succinctness with which he said that. And you've talked about this throughout, but if you could kind of uh, sort, sort of give a little bit of a summary at this point, talk about how adoption changes lives. Of course, the adoptive children, the adopted children, the adoptive parents, but then, of course, the world. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of us, when you're asked, if you ask somebody, you know, is anybody in your family adopted? Maybe yes, maybe no. No one in your family is adopted. You might think adoption hasn't changed or touched you. The reality is it has. And, you know, Steve Jobs is just one example. You know, most of us use Apple products in some form or fashion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we live in a country shaped by people like uh, Ronald Reagan, uh, whose leadership was, uh, came out of, you know, an adoptive situation. Um, you know, we listen to music uh, performed by people who were adopted. You ever go to a Wendy's restaurant? Well, most of us probably have. Mm-hmm. Dave, Dave Thomas was adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I love about the Dave Thomas story is Dave Thomas was uh, adopted and then actually his birth, his adoptive mother died. And um, his, his adoptive father, uh, not knowing how to cook, used to take him to restaurants. And uh, Dave loved watching restaurateurs at work mm-hmm. and thought, this is what I'd like to do with my life little things like that, you know, that, that add up. I mean, it's just, it, they're adoptive people are everywhere. There's a hundred or 40, 140,000 or so, uh, children adopted each year in the United States. You know, that adds up pretty quick. You know, there are millions and millions of, of individuals that you and I work with every day whose lives have been literally touched by adoption. And then of course we receive a lot of the benefits of those, uh, those people. So that's kind of, kind of the essence of, uh, of what I was getting at. And, of, and look, I, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I, man has free will, but God is sovereign. And so those two things combined tell me that adoption has changed my life, has changed the world in which I live. If somebody's listening to this, Paul, and they're, uh, this is beginning to sound like something perhaps they're interested in, maybe something they feel God might be calling them to, what things should they consider? If you're listening and you're thinking about adopting, I always tell people, tell everybody you know that you're interested in adopting because, um, you know, it's it's a not an easy uh, process, number one, simply to get matched with a child, um, at least if you're talking infant adoption, because, you know, there again, it's just, there's only so many children available, hopefully with um, the reversal of Roe, there'll be more. Mm-hmm. But right now there's about a million children aborted every year in the United States. And there are about a million families waiting to adopt, which I always find that interesting when you look at the the numbers. Mm -hmm. But um, I always, so tell everyone, you know, um, don't be intimidated by the perception that you can't afford it because you'll often read articles that are kind of will blow you away on the average cost of adoption. There's a lot of ways to, to, um, knock that cost down. There's the adoption, federal adoption tax credit. There are low interest loans. There are ways for, to raise the money, all different things. There's also adoption through foster care, which doesn't cost anything. Um, and of course, pray about it. Um, 
if, if you feel this nudge on your heart, um, pray and ask the Lord to guide and direct you, put you in the path of people, talk to people who have adopted, they can guide you, they can recommend agencies, and they can recommend lawyers, and they can recommend, uh, you know, different steps that you're going to need to take, it's going to be different for everybody, depending upon where you live. But with God, all things are possible. And it's fun to see God work when you des- when you express and articulate a desire to pursue something like this. I don't think we've talked about this yet, but uh, adoption is also an opportunity to introduce uh, the children to the gospel, right? As you invite them into your home, into your oh, Christian lives. That's that's exa- exactly right. Which is why more Christians should adopt, right? And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're we're in a tough cultural moment where. Uh, you know, a lot of agencies have begun, sadly, um, to place children in same-sex homes and uh, in situations that, as believers, we would be uncomfortable with. We feel that that's subjecting that child to an unbiblical um, lifestyle. Um, I'm not suggesting Christians should feel like they can be rescuers, mm-hmm. um, but the more Christians that adopt, the more children will be adopted by Christian parents. And so, that's a very good thing, and what an honor it is to introduce a child, whether biological or adopted, to the gospel, to Jesus, to a lifetime of um, living the faith. Um, so you're right; it's a huge evangelical movement. Um, it should be evangelistic movement. Do we know where the needs are greatest in terms of adoption? I mean, is it is it in the foster care system? Is it international? Is it special needs? Yeah, the greatest needs for sure are in the foster care system. Um, right now, there's about 400,000 children in foster care. About 100,000 of those children are waiting to be adopted. Those are children who were freed, and uh, from a you know from all parental um, uh, ties, they're looking for homes. They're with foster families right now. the The challenge with those children is that they tend to be the hard to place children for any number of reasons. You know, maybe they have the um, alcohol, fetal alcohol syndrome, they may have uh, come from a very disruptive situation, they're traumatized. Um, but uh, those are those are ones, if you feel called to adopt an older child, uh, not all children there have those scars, but they have some scar. And that's a reality to recognize is that whether you're adopting an infant or you're adopting a, um, you know, a 17 year old, that child has been through some degree of trauma because while it may be in utero, um, you know, they, they come from a background that has maybe been tough. Uh, you know, our middle guy was born to a woman who didn't know she was pregnant until she gave birth. Hmm. And so he was undersized and, uh, and malnourished because she didn't take any of the normal care that you would. Um, and he struggled, you know, early in his life physically for that reason. Um, but, uh, you know, I, Every state's going to be a little different in terms of the number of children that are available, um, but the agencies are in every state. And uh, certainly, you know, look them up, look online, give us a call at Focus on the Family. We'd love to help connect any of your listeners to um, to begin that process. So, in terms of Focus on the Family, there is, there are resources that you have there to help people who are considering adoption. We, we sure do. We have a network of um, Christian agencies that we recommend and approve. Um, those that we feel are holding to biblical um, convictions. We have lots of online resources uh, that can be downloaded. And then um, we have a program we call the Wait No More program, which is designed to go out and meet in churches 
and to encourage churches to rally around the adoption issue because you know i mentioned 100,000 children in foster care there are 300,000 churches in america hmm. and so boy if every church just committed to one child um, you'd you'd clear off those foster care roles and put those children in forever homes um, not every church is in a position necessarily to take it on like other churches but i think everybody in every church is called to care for the orphan based on scripture You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Paul Batura, Vice President of Communications for Focus on the Family and author of Chosen for Greatness, How Adoption Changes the World. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Jeremy Rennie on surviving Hurricane Ian and its effects on his church. I believe, you know, not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father and uh, that that he, you know, he sends the rain, he sends the storm, and and that God is working out a a vast array of purposes for His glory and the good of His people through every disaster. So, you know, why do things like this happen? Well, there's probably a hundred reasons why, and he he works these things out for uh, all kinds of purposes, both salvation, judgment, but ultimately all for His glory. That's tomorrow at the same time, right here on His People. Thanks for listening.